helping families be happy. Welcome to the Helping Families Be Happy podcast, where we explore the often messy world of family love and relationships. I am your host, Dr. Carla Marie Manley, a practicing clinical psychologist, wellness advocate, and author based in Sonoma County, California. I've teamed up with Familius Publishing to bring you nourishing real-life information about love, family, relationships, and life. Now, I am thrilled to introduce today's guest, Dr. Lisa Lewis, a pediatrician who will be talking with us about her wonderful book, Feed the Baby Hummus. Welcome, Dr. Lisa. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, hi, Dr. Manley. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It is such a joy to have you. Your book, Feed the Baby Hummus, Pediatrician-Backed Secrets from Cultures Around the World, it is a gold mine of information. I had so much fun reading it and learning from it. Um, even having had two children, I thought I knew a little bit, but my goodness, this is a jam-packed book of wonderful secrets and tips and information. Tell me a little bit about how this book came to be. Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you for the compliments. Um, I'm glad you enjoyed the book. Um, well, I started practice in 1996. And um, at that time, I noticed that we had, with our training, kind of more Western medicine, um, which I do firmly believe in, and I do follow the American Academy of Pediatrics guidelines. Um, but what I did notice was that in my practice, I would have a variety of individuals from basically all over the world who had different parenting styles that I found intriguing from the very beginning. My background is that my mother is um, Lebanese, born in Texas, but Lebanese, um, and we have a multicultural family in a variety of ways. And so I had already had some exposure to parenting techniques that might not um, be the exact same as my residency training. So at that time, um, even from the very beginning, I found parenting practices from around the world very intriguing. And then as the years marched on, I became more and more interested in reading research and speaking to patients and interviewing friends and then I started collecting notes and writing things down and um, I had always wanted to write a book um, with advice from the pediatrician and so it just kind of evolved into a baby care manual with inspiration from other cultures so that's the background. I absolutely love it. So the title, Feed the Baby Hummus, um, now it's, I get the context for it, of course. Um, at what age, I'm, I'm actually serious about this, at what age would you tell listeners that you can start feeding the baby hummus? Oh, yes, you can start feeding the baby hummus um, when a baby is ready for solids, which is generally around age six months. Um, some pediatricians do say you can start as early as four months if babies are formula fed. Um, in general, we recommend around six months 
to start solids and you can start hummus. One of the things we typically recommend for hummus is to start kind of with maybe slightly more bland than the hummus that we would make with a recipe or buy in the store. And actually in the book, we have a recipe that was submitted um, that um, is basically a milder hummus with yogurt mixed in, which kind of takes a little bit of the um, strong flavor out. And then eventually what I recommend is to go ahead and move forward to um, hummus with without the yogurt as the baby gets older so that they can have the pure flavor of the hummus and enjoy the benefits um, of the garbanzo beans and the ingredients. So he, the answer is six months and up anytime. Six months and up. Now, <laughs> your own children, were they raised with the same model that is in your book? This is very interesting. So my oldest was adopted. At, she came home from China at 13 months. And so um, the model was a little bit different for her. She hadn't had any um, textures. And my son actually had severe milk protein allergy. So I wasn't able, if you're talking about hummus, I wasn't able to do that. But the, the model of starting fruits and vegetables and giving your children um, not bland foods. I did start that with both of them as early as possible. That is amazing. So the other tenants in the book, some of the things that you you describe, whether it's the um, the not letting them cry. I, I noticed that, you know, very different from how some people believe that parenting should be done. You don't let a child younger than nine months, you know, cry its way to sleep or something. So the principles in your book are generally the ones, generally the ones you used with your own children, even though you, your daughter was 13 months when you received her. Yes, several of the, not all, um, what of the principles in the book was I able or did I use? Um, but several of the principles in the book I did use. And yes, like for example, the co-sleeping, um, I did co-sleep with both children, um, safe co-sleeping as I describe in the book where they had their own separate sleep area, but they were right there. And I did not use the cry it out technique. I'm not a hundred percent against the cry it out technique. Uh, um, but, you know, I do find that, um, you know, the research has shown that babies tend to be um, a little calmer if they don't use the cried out technique. And so, and I did not use that. So, so yes, as, as you mentioned, several of the concepts in the book um, I did use with my own children, but not all. Again, you know, several things I wasn't, wasn't able to do um, at the time. Like um, one of the things I didn't think about that I would have loved to have done was when I talk about um, in Indonesia, how they have the 105th day ceremony. Um, that would have been so fun. Mm -hmm. have, I, I know that this, this might sound a little um, out there, but just to, to hold on to my baby for the 105 days and then let his feet touch the ground. I just, you know, or even my daughter, had she been home, my oldest, had she been home, I would have loved that just holding and just passing the baby around from family member to family member. And so some of these ideas I, I look at and think, I wish, I wish that I had known about them 
or you know was able to carry them out Absolutely. And I think that's something that's so, so important and often missing in our own culture, that yeah. idea of having rituals and rituals like that. And for parents, for listeners to know that even if it's a little late for that ritual or, or something that you can create your own rituals so yeah. that you have something really special, that special bonding with your child and memories that come, the symbolism that arises from those rituals. Right. Yes, that's very true. And that's a, that's a very good point. And children do love routine and, um, and, and rituals are something that can be passed down from family to family as, as we see in many cultures, including our own. Absolutely. And it's something with our melting pot of a society that um, some people um, have let go of rituals, have let go of what's been passed down from generation to generation. And what a wonderful time it is in the present to revive some of those to, yeah. or to embrace new ones, create new ones of your own and let them be very symbolic for, you know, connection, family, love, all of those important parts of life. Right. And I yeah. love how your book is replete with let's talk for a second let's skip to the the Jamaican rosewater bath yes uh-huh the soothing with rose water which is a very interesting concept that um and actually I've I had some training in the Caribbean and so I have a big heart for many of the people that I've met in the Caribbean and several that spoke with me and um you know, there are not all mothers in Jamaica, but some mothers in Jamaica and some other parts of the Caribbean have been known to soothe their babies with rose water, and they do feel that it helps bring the temperature down. And medically, that makes sense to me because we do talk about using um, not cold water, but lukewarm water to reduce temperatures. And so it just sounded so appealing to me to have the rose water, um, which can have, you know, just, just smelling it can have a calming effect mm -hmm. along with the tap water bath. So I did include that in the book and there's a recipe there for, um, for making the rose water. And I love how you make the books, um, everything's accessible. It's not so out there or unavailable that a mom or a dad can't embrace it. They are all very practical, let's slow it down ways of, of looking at what works and what doesn't work. Oh, thank you. Yes, I tried my very best to include things that people could use in their lives. There are a few little anecdotes in there that maybe someone someone may not be able to use um, but you know for the most part I tried to look at things that people might use in their lives and when I gave information just you know American Academy of Pediatric Western information about baby care my goal was to um, look at the most common concerns and the most common questions that parents ask and address them in the book, you know, as opposed to, you know, some of the um, larger um, books like what to expect that addresses every single question, whether it's a very um, unusual rare event versus it's more kind of like the Bible of baby care. And um, this, this one I went for what is 
common, what is important to parents, what kind of questions do they ask, and uh, try to address those in the book. I really noticed that um, you were talking about how important it is to have a non-judgmental approach to parenting. Tell me a little bit about that, please. Oh, yes. I think, you know, this that's one of the backbones of the book. I do firmly believe that there is no one-size-fits-all policy to parenting. And that basically comes with over two decades of practice. Because if you talk to multiple pediatricians, you'll get multiple ideas on parenting. We're trained, um, we're definitely trained on, you know, the basic concepts of parenting. But oftentimes we bring our own um family ideas into practice. And like, for example, for me, it's very easy for me to say, I think it's okay to co-sleep as long as it's safe and you have your own safe sleep environment and the baby is not, um, is not uh, where covers or pillows could, <laughs> could be an issue. But then someone else who's never been exposed to co-sleeping um, might be appalled by the idea, and that's okay. And I don't know if appalled is the right idea, but they may think, I have seen that before, they may think, oh my gosh, no, I would never co-sleep. And if they're not comfortable with that, that's okay. Um, I, I'm hoping in the book that I can get the point across that if you choose to co-sleep or if you choose to um, practice any other parenting style, as long as it's safe and it's comfortable, for you and your baby, that's okay. And that's when you're talking about non-judgmental, I think um, it makes me think about the part that I discussed with in Iceland, how um, they know several people from Iceland and if you talk to people in Northern Europe, know the benefits of breastfeeding and know how it builds the immune system and how it's considered the perfect milk. But if someone is not able to breastfeed or if they decide not to breastfeed, they're very non-judgmental about that. And I think that's what we need to learn is, you know, if we feel that one piece of parenting is very important for us, it may not work for someone else. Thank you so much for calling that out because I think it's so important to stay in your lane, to get educated, to know what's in general best for baby, and then to modify it to suit what suits your situation most effectively, most safely, most harmoniously. And I think many moms and dads get into trouble when they're looking at the neighbor or somebody on social media or, you know, this family that's doing it differently and they think they should do it that way too. And I think it's always wise to come back to what feels right in your heart. That's right. I mean, I think it's one thing to give, so if you, if advice is solicited to give the advice, but giving giving unasked for advice um, can make um, a friend or a family member feel criticized or, you know, it can even, if a, if, say if a mother's having some postpartum blues, it can make her feel more blue when she has so many different people giving her advice. And so, um, of course, it is important for new mothers and fathers to learn, but in a non-judgmental way and, and, and learn what feels right for them as a family. 
Thank you. I think it, you you hit it perfectly that that unsolicited advice can certainly be painful and even create some pushback. Yet if it's advice is asked for, scoop it up, take what works, set aside what doesn't and move forward with parenting your baby. That's right. I'm in total agreement. So I my last question for you is for our readers and listeners, what would you, if you could just have them take away anything from your book that we haven't discussed yet, what would that be? Well, it would be to take your time and enjoy your baby when you're able without guilt. And the reason I say that is I believe that there's a lot of parental guilt um, that surrounds being you know, having a baby and being a new parent with both moms, dads, sometimes even the grandparents. And it's okay if you need to go and take a shower and you're not able to tend to your baby. But there are things that, that you can actually do for yourself to take care of yourself and also love your baby. Because a happy parent is is much more effective emotionally than a parent that feels that, that they are guilted into certain behaviors that they must um, provide for their baby. So it would be, you know, relax, take your time, enjoy your baby, and realize that everything is not going to be perfect with parenting in the first year of age. I think we feel, you know, a lot of pressure to do do everything that is written that is healthy for our baby. And we do the very best I can, but it's not, um, our world is not perfect. And so we can sit back and kind of relax and just take in the viewing the hands and the eyes and the face and, and the smell of our baby and just enjoying the present moment. There's going to be missteps along the way and you've got to stop and forgive yourself. And if you make a mistake and realize that you're doing that the best you can as a parent. And such sage advice for all of those wonderful moms and dads out there to hear you say that, that sometimes as parents, just like as non-parents, we can simply just do our best in the moment and then maybe do it a little better the next day or not. But, you know, definitely being there present with baby. Um, thank you so much for sharing your time with us, with me today. I'm so grateful. Can you tell me where our guests can find you? Oh, I am on Facebook. I actually have a Feed the Baby Homeless page and Lisa Lewis MD page. Um, and then I have a website, um, lisalewismd.com. And um, please feel free to reach out and ask questions. I love to engage in dialogue. So that's Lisa Lewis, L E W I S M D dot com. And Feed the Baby Hummus is the wonderful book that she has created. Wait until you get your hands on this gem. It is beautiful. And so thank you once again for joining us. And so as we conclude today's podcast, I'd like to thank Familius Publishing for their support in bringing this amazing podcast to your ears and your heart. We would be thrilled if you'd subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes and social media. And when you're ready for that next amazing book adventure, 
adventure, we'd be honored if you'd choose a book from Familius Publishing, such as the lovely book we discussed today. One step at a time, we can make the world a happier place. Thanks for sharing your time with me, Dr. Carla Marie Manley. It's been a joy and a true pleasure. Be well and shine as only you can do.